welcome to this episode of Steam Up the Classroom. I'm so excited. Um, I have Erin and Olivia on the podcast today, and we are going to be talking about some really amazing um, topics around STEM role models. Um, so I'm super excited. And shout out to Erin, who's calling in from Germany, which is pretty <laughs> wild. So it's in the middle of the night for Erin. Um, so definitely a big shout out for you for getting up in the middle of the night to record with us. So welcome, Erin and Olivia. Thank you so much for having us on. Thanks for having us on. We're excited to be here and share some of our knowledge with um, the great educators out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, how about you share a little bit about yourselves? Sure, Erin. Do you want to start? Sure. I'd be happy to. So I'm Erin Twomley. I am actually a nonfiction children's book author, and I do... Um, STEM books primarily for K through fifth grade audience, as well as doing kind of author visits and STEM engagements with schools. My work over the past two years has primarily been working with US military students who are stationed overseas in the European Union. One of my goals is to get kids saying that I wanna be an animator, an engineer, or a zoologist just as often as they say, I want to be an actress, a singer, or a doctor. I'm passionate about STEM and providing STEM role models for kids. That's amazing. All right, so I run Science Delivered. It's a science education nonprofit. We work with K through five or elementary students primarily. Um, so our goal there is to support teachers, um, and bring science to kids um, at that age group. I previously was in science, I was a scientist. I got my PhD in neuroscience in Virginia and then moved out, I'm in San Diego now. Um, so we actually have a branch in San Diego and then some students who gra also graduated from the neuroscience program run uh, some of our labs in elementary schools in Virginia as well. That's really cool. Yeah. I also actually authored a book, Experimenting with Science. It's in like the informally named Dummy Juniors series, like the four dummies. Um, so there's some ex science experiments there too you can look up. Wow. Um, we yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And we have um, our, we do direct programming with elementary school students and we go in the classroom and do labs. And we also have online resources. And one of our big online resources is the STEM trading card project where we feature different people who work in STEM careers. Awesome, which is similar to, Erin, your STEM superheroes book? Yeah, so Olivia and I met because I was actually um, online on Twitter, checking out the Twitter sphere and all the great resources, and I saw their STEM trading cards, which are super collectible, tradable, fun, small ways to kind of engage kids um, with STEM careers. And so um, the book, one of my latest books, Everyday Superheroes, Women in STEM Careers, has 26 women who are currently working in STEM careers that have a variety of education backgrounds, career pathways, um, things that they've studied. And so 
I thought, oh, this would be fantastic to get um, a trading card set to go with the books. So that's um, how our collaboration set started. And you can find um, six of our cards from the book already on the STEM trading card um, website. And as Olivia said, right, the aim is to provide different role models with educators. I love that. And I think um, this is going to be a really awesome topic to talk about you with you both. Um, in the book that I authored, um, Awesome Brain Games for Kids, my favorite part when I was writing it was researching and picking um, different people to put in the book from various mm -hmm. fields all across STEAM and all different types of people and in all different types of careers and everything. And I just, I loved learning about different people and and really diving into some of the more like niche I guess you mm -hmm. could say like careers that you wouldn't maybe think that it's STEM um, like for example I have a chef that's in the book because he uses um, science with um, his cooking in order to um, make a even more um, what's the word like he uses the science of um, taste buds and mm. and um, just different types of cooking and, and how it makes people feel um, and, and the way that they react to it. Um, and that's how he decides on how to cook different meals and everything. So like how awesome is that? Because so many kids wouldn't know that being a chef is also being a scientist and in STEM and everything. So it was really fun um, when I was researching um, for my book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, STEM is infused into so much. And I think connecting it to things kids already know to make it less intimidating and to show that there are all these different, maybe even quirky career paths you can have where you can really dive into something that you're passionate about. Um, and I think that's something that we want to show these young kids is if you have these varied interests, um, you can have a career in anything. And, you know, we're STEM focused, but also I think the idea that you, there are all these different careers out there. If you don't end up going into STEM, it can also expand your worldview that way um, for whatever career that students end up choosing. Yes, exactly. So why don't we hop into talking about STEM role models and, and why it's important to have them infused in classroom lessons and in activities and really making sure that um, we jump into the topic a little bit more when we're teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, so I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Olivia, go ahead. I was just going to say, maybe I think it's important that we share. So Olivia and I have a focus on kind of the elementary STEM age range, which I think is um, unique and purposeful for both of the work that we collaborate on and that we work on separately. So maybe we just start there. Olivia, do you want to share um, why the elementary kind of focus or what importance you see um, for that age? Yeah. Well, elementary is often an age, actually, let me back up and say, you know, so I was in science as a scientist, and I, I saw a lot of the kind of career outreach efforts were often aimed at uh, middle school and high school. I don't necessarily have data on that. It was just sort of an anecdotal observation. Um, and, but I think elementary school, it's really important to, to bring this career focus in and not in, a, in an, but in an age appropriate way, you know, and I think because the elementary school years are those foundational years and you really gain 
knowledge of the world and how the world works. And, you know, if you, I was assigned as my husband's an engineer, you know, our kids know that those are just jobs you can have. Um, so, but I have to say my, I do, I, my father was a scientist, but I graduated high school, not knowing what an engineer was. I remember someone telling me they wanted to be an engineer and I just thought, I just don't understand what that is. So I think you do have to be pretty explicit in, in showing kids these different career paths. Um, so I think the elementary school years are really important. And plus it's really easy to teach elementary school kids. They just soak everything up. They love it. It's very joyful. Um, I mean, it's great working with middle school. It's great working in high school. Um, but, you know, little kids have that just earnestness um, that's really fun to work with. So I think it's a great age. I always like to promote outreach to that age group for people working in, in STEM fields. Yeah, and it's also um, really important to start talking um, about role models and different career pathways at such a young age. So that way, while they're moving up through school, they're thinking about, oh, well, you know, I remember learning about engineer when, you know, I was in first grade or something like that. And they're, you know, more likely to see themselves doing that if they right. know that it right. exists. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think one of the most powerful things and why I take um, a little bit of a different approach in in using my writing, right, to share about STEM careers is I think that there's a lot of language and words that in elementary school we can either, we either assume or think might be too challenging for kids to learn about, right? But kids can say robotics engineer, kids can mm-hmm. say zoologist, right? If you ask a four-year-old their favorite dinosaur, right, or even a seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, most of them can tell you their favorite dinosaur, right? And the actual scientific name. So kids have a remarkable ability to retain information. And so I think part of the elementary age is a great opportunity to just expose them to a variety of STEM careers. Like you mentioned, Tori, um, you know, I have a vertical farmer in my book, somebody who is growing food without soil and without sunlight in some instances, right? to someone who is a fashionable um, designer that uses sustainable practices. So basically, they're actually not only inventing um, clothing and fabric that's more sustainable and friendly, but they're actually inventing things for people who might need different types of clothing. So for example, let's say they might have um, a disability and so they have one arm that they can get dressed with. So they have a zipper on their sleeve to help them get dressed or buttons. Um, So I think there's a variety of careers out there in STEM, not just those really hardcore science, technology, engineering, and math ones that kids see. And so books provide that opportunity to not only um, read about it, but to actually see pictures, right? Mm -hmm. And I think some important research that we should just share here, right, is that students make a decision as early as second grade on whether they enjoy the subjects of science, technology, engineering, and math. So just let that sink in. A second grader is always already determining if they like those things, right? And so we have a huge opportunity, I would say, as an educator then to help kids see how those subjects are integrated into every life, everyday life, how we can 
problem solve, right? Things that kids might be experiencing or wanting to know about. Um, I know I have a two and a half year old and her favorite question right now is why? Everything is why. And so (laughs) how as educators can we connect that why with something like a STEM career? Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's a really good point. Well, you made many good points. Um, that kids can, young kids can learn really complex information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the point about the dinosaurs is a lot of three-year-olds can tell you they like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And that's a really set of big words. Um, I think sometimes adults think, oh, this is a hard concept for me, so the kids can't understand it. Um, but I think if you explain things in the right way, I mean, I've taught pretty complex concepts to six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and they can get it. I mean, you can work with them in an hour and they can under, start to understand that sound waves move through the air and sound waves can move things. We actually yell at salt. Um, oh, we uh, yell at salt on these little, what I call salt trampolines. It's a balloon, you know, uh, put over a cup. And they can see that their sounds move the salt. And a lot of them can tell me the steps for how that happened. And I think that's a really complex idea a lot of adults don't understand. Um, mm-hmm. But if you teach things in a certain way and you make sure that, you know, you're not assuming a bunch of prior knowledge, but you kind of build that knowledge with the kids, they can really, they can really understand all these different things. Um, Mm -hmm. And we actually have a card coming out. I'm not sure exactly when, but sometime over the summer of someone who studied um, psychoacoustics, which is a science of sound and hearing um, in his PhD and does a lot of work with sound now. And I think that's another thing to tie back to is if you're teaching to kids about sound in the class and you want them to understand why it's important, you can connect it to their prior experiences. You can also show them, well, here's a person who's doing really cool, practical stuff. Um, Sorry, we're, you know, sitting here during quarantine. (laughs) No worries. I totally understand. (laughs) Um, You know, you can show them, well, here's a person using this knowledge to help people today. And I think that's another important point of role models is, is you can show. Are you still there? Um, and here's how they're using this. Oh, hold on. Um, Olivia? Oh, did you lose me? Yeah. Can hold you on. just repeat what you just um, said? Sorry. I'm just trying to. Um, the end part, I was just saying, I think it's really cool to be able, if you bring some role models into the classroom, you can really connect things the whole way from okay, here's this cool stuff you're learning. Here's how it relates to things you already know about the world. And here's how people are using this today to help people um, in the world. And so I think that gives you this whole progression um, from start to finish that kids can really relate to and they enjoy. Do you have any suggestions on how to integrate STEM role models into the classroom Um, rather than just having a conversation where you're telling the kids, do you guys have any ideas on on how you can integrate it a little bit more? Yeah, Eric, do you want to start? I'll mention we're, got, we're putting out some materials. By the time the podcast comes, um, you should have them uh, on how to do this. Yeah. And I'll let you take it, especially because okay. some background noise here. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Olivia. Um, I think, right, as um, an author, I think the number one thing that I always recommend to teachers is open up a book, 
right? And especially to families as well. If you have families that need encouragement, as Olivia mentioned, right? As adults, we might say, well, I don't have the knowledge or I don't understand, or I'm not a math whiz. I hate bugs. I can't tell you how many times I've heard those things from moms or dads who are trying to figure out how to do STEM with their kids. And they're like, well, this is not my area, right? Or I don't know why the sky is blue. Um, so I always encourage people to just open up a book, right? Especially today, there are so many nonfiction books out there that um, are great resources for kids and families so that you can learn together. Because this age, as Olivia said, is really about forming connections to STEM and interest in STEM and making kids that feel like they have a sense of belonging, right? So mm -hmm. to borrow from the After School Alliance, they did a big study on, you know, elementary school STEM and they call it the STEM identity, that these years are so important in helping kids form their own STEM identity and that we need to have not only kind of positive activities, but positive role models. And I think an important thing to think about is that role models are different than mentors. So you don't even have to know that you are a role model to be a role model. So sharing your information and your story, you might just be doing that naturally and kids are able to learn from you, whether you use a resource like Skype the Scientist or 500 Women Scientists. Um, there's a lot of ways that teachers also can just bring in people to share about their careers. Um, and I think lastly, I would say that... Um, Science Delivered is going to have some specific activity that will be available on the website. So I'll let Olivia talk about that. Yeah, so we're starting to put up some materials um, that are integrating lessons and uh, people on our STEM trading cards. But this can, of course, go beyond what we put up and can just be a general principle. Um, so one example is something I'm working on right now. Hopefully we'll be ready by the time this comes out is a lesson for first graders that involves bats and then at the end creating an invention um, based on bats. So the standard is to create, uh, I don't actually, I'm not gonna remember it word for word, but it's essentially to create something based on the natural world and then something based on the natural world. Um, and so there's a lot of things you can learn about bats. We talk about echolocation, we talk about their different body parts or their external parts um, in the way that the standard talks about it. And then at the end, you can talk or, you, you know, you could integrate it throughout about doc, uh, Dr. Susan Tseng and Dr. Kristen Lear, um, both of whom research bats. And so you can pull that into the lesson. And um, actually, Dr. Kristen Lear helped us develop this. So we made sure it was accurate and everything. Um, and so, I, and, you know, ironically, bats have become pretty relevant um, with the coronavirus pandemic, possibly stemming from them. Um, and so I think just just tying it in to things that you're doing is a great way to do it. I think like Aaron mentioned books, um, you know, there's a lot of books that feature people in STEM um, and those are really powerful as well. And then we're also just creating some, I'm not, I'm not sure that I quite call them lessons, but maybe support for the teachers uh, where you can maybe just learn about some people who work with animals. So maybe you could even just have a lesson on, Hey, what, what career could you have? where you could study animals. And one that we put up is we showed three scientists who do work with animals and we just have a little information about them and then just some fun games that the teacher can play with the kids to kind of learn about these three people. Um, and I think we're, some of the point of this is also to get that representation piece 
Um, our STEM trading cards feature a very diverse group of people in a multitude of ways. And it's very important for kids to see people who look like them mm-hmm. and share aspects of their identity. And so I think if you start introducing all these different people who work in STEM, it becomes very normalized, especially working with five or six-year-olds, that these are scientists. You know, scientists don't have to look one way or act one way. Um, They can be anybody. And I think the earlier you introduce that idea, the better. And so you can just kind of play these own games. Like, oh, here's um, Dr. Uh, Melissa Christina Marquez, who is a marine biologist and studies sharks. You know, and the kids, they think that's really cool. Yeah, I I love it. I'm just I I think all of it just sounds so amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I agree. When you uh, spoke at the beginning, it's a really fun project for me to work on personally. I've learned about so many people, so much cool research. It's been very joyful <laughs> for for uh, something that's supposed to be work. Yeah, no, I and I that was like like I said earlier, one of the funnest parts about writing the book was researching all the different people. And mm-hmm. sometimes I don't know if you found this, but sometimes I had to just dive deeper and do a little bit more of a like a deeper search into the internet. Um because mm-hmm. when you would Google um, just like today's scientists or something, mm-hmm. it, it might come with just the the typical list. But mm-hmm. I, I, it sounds like you kind of were similar to me where you wanted to find people past that list and, and people that were um, doing it right now. And maybe they don't have the spotlight on them, but they're doing something absolutely amazing that needs to be shared and something that the kids will um, just love reading about and, and learning about. Um, so I, I found when I was researching that I had to get crafty with how I was um, looking into different people and um, find websites that would allow me to go well into their databases to, to find some really um, interesting people to, to teach about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of what I want to do. And I would, I think Aaron as well is kind of create, you know, help boost fame. I mean, not to say that we're going to make people famous, you know, but you know, I think that's how people get well-known. Aaron and I were talking about Katherine Johnson and, you know, now she's a very kind of standard uh, woman in STEM role model. And that wasn't the case when I was younger, you know, Mm -hmm. so you kind of can, you know, the idea of people knowing about you is just people sharing information. So if we can help share that information by these about different people, they can become more well-known. And especially, you know, the kids we work with aren't on Twitter. They're, I mean, maybe some of them are, but, you know, (laughs) they're like seven and eight. You know, they aren't necessarily on all these sites, seeing the people that we get exposed to more naturally by being on social media. So we want to kind of bring that cool diversity that you see on Twitter, that you see in other areas to the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And just to share a few more resources with teachers, um, there's a lot of movement now to um, share STEM role models with kids through videos, through posters. So if you go online, you will find, you know, there are women at NASA, women at Energy. Um, I mentioned Skype a scientist. Um, 500 women scientists has, you know, nearly, I think, 10,000 scientists now. Um, who Wait, what's, up- what is 500 women scientists? And how do I not know about this? <laughs> oh, 
Okay, so 500 Women Scientists is a fantastic organization um, that started in 2016, and it's a nonprofit um, that wants to basically address what you were saying, Tori, is who's doing science and where are they and what do they look like and how can they share their information um, with classrooms and students. And so there's actually different chapters of 500 Women Scientists around the world. Um, and it's a way that um, not only classroom teachers, but people can connect with real scientists and they do um, a variety of different projects. So some of them will come into a classroom. Some of them could speak at a conference. Some of them might help um, with scientific meetings that are happening. Um, so this is really a, a fantastic resource. They have a database like you're talking about where you can search um, different types of scientists, where they're located, what they studied, what their career is today, right? Um, so I think one of the big challenges too is that Oftentimes we use with elementary students just the word scientist or just the word engineer, right? And in some ways, these are really generic career terms. And for a kid, they might actually not know that there's something like a robotics engineer or a biomedical engineer mm -hmm. or an electrical engineer, right? But there's actually different types of engineers and different types of scientists. And so I think what these resources like 500 Women Scientists or Skype a scientist or women at energy do is enable you to not only um, see a face and a story, right, um, of somebody who's in a STEM career, but it gives you a little bit more of that language. Um, and so for elementary students, you know, as Olivia mentioned, you know, social media, we're not maybe bringing our kids online, especially in this distance learning age, we're all looking for ways to go offline. Um, one good example that I've seen that works well is doing a STEM career word wall. Right. So teachers love word walls. And oftentimes we use them for when we're learning reading or new vocabulary. Well, not, why not create a STEM career word wall? Right. Have the students understand and see the words of STEM careers from mathematician to marine biologist to a chief technical officer. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's a great way um, to bring in and introduce kind of that STEM career vocabulary. I love that idea. I'm always, I'm, I, so my classroom is uh, an old library space that just hadn't been used in years and years. And um, I'm always looking for ways to make it more STEMI and to try and bring the aesthetics of the room alive because a lot of it still is bookshelves and, and things like that, um, especially on the walls. So I've, I've been trying to think for next year what I want to do to kind of spruce it up and and make it even more um, focused on STEM and and to just kind of like bring it alive a little bit. And I love that idea of a um, career world, word wall because that's one of the things that I talk about a lot in my classroom. Um, and I always uh, I always like to say like you like here's here's a whole bunch of different ideas of careers like throughout the year when we do different topics. But I also like to say you're your job might not exist yet. You might end up creating your job or your job could get created before you start working. Um, so it's like one of those things that I think is really fascinating to kids and so many kids just dream and, and think about what they want to do when they grow up and, and 
I love talking about it because I think it just, it brings out some excitement. Right. Right. And kids have great imaginations. They can probably start to think of all these crazy jobs they could have that right? don't exist yet. Yeah. I love it when I say, oh, your job might not exist yet. And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> with technology rapidly expanding and just all sorts of things happening in the world, right. you never know. Well, well science communicate. Oh, go ahead, Naren. No, go ahead, Olivia. No, I was just going to say science communication, especially with online, is an area that existed, but has definitely expanded so much, you know, very recently. And so that's a, you know, one space that existed, but not quite in the the way it is now with the opportunities it has now. Mm -hmm. And I think diving into the specifics of different types of careers within the umbrella terms, like different types of engineers and different types of scientists. I think that's so important too, especially because I know, I, I mean, I, as a kid, I thought a scientist was someone that was, you know, working with vials and, and things right, like that chemicals. Um, yeah, <laughs> all day. And an engineer to me, um, because my grandfather was a civil engineer. So I just assumed that every engineer worked on water towers. I just mm-hmm. thought that that was a, that was every, anyone that was an engineer, well, they were working on a water tower, <laughs> like, you know? So it's, it's so important to go into um, the different types within the umbrella terms so that way kids can see that there's so many more career paths than they could even imagine. Right. We, at our, um, on our website at stemtradingcards.org, we do have some mini posters that are just eight and a half by 11. So you can print them on your own printer that have those categories. So we have a few, we have four right now. So it's like STEM is to improve our health. So we use the term STEMist for someone who works in STEM or STEMist who study animals. And then they have three different people um, with their different careers. So that's one resource that we, we've made. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. And I think you make a good point, right? Kids experience all the advantages of technology, right? With iPads to Alexa and Siri to computers, they don't know a world without technology, right? Most of the students that we're teaching and interacting with, they're digital natives. Mm -hmm. But most of them, if you ask them how a computer works or, you know, what is code and who creates code, that becomes a really interesting question for them to think about how and who creates these things that they use on a daily basis, right? Mm -hmm. And so to develop that kind of literacy um, for kids, I think taking just some of the common everyday things um, that they interact with and helping to explain and learn where they come from and who's involved in their creation is a really powerful way to not just only spark that curiosity in STEM, um, but encourage kind of some research and exploration in STEM. I think oftentimes we forget that there's a lot of STEM work that's happening to make the world healthier or a greener place, right? Just look at COVID, for example. There are scientists um, working together to figure out a vaccine. There are public health professionals, right? Tracing how the virus started and how it moves among humans and people. Um, We have people in the energy field, right, who are making the world greener by researching, well, how can we capture sunlight and how can we store that sunlight um, for electricity? So 
making those relevant connections to kids is super important. And I think sometimes as adults, we think that, oh, we have to come up with these really awesome ideas, right, that are out there. But kids just really want to know, as Olivia mentioned, how the world works around them. Um, Mm -hmm. Even pick things in your classroom and um, take their STEM exploration a little bit further. Yeah. One, uh, to just add on to that, something fun. One of the people we have featured um, who's quite well known is uh, Dr. Lonnie Johnson, who invented the super soaker and also was a high level NASA engineer and does uh, all sorts of research now. Um, But kids really love his card because they're really like, oh, here's someone who invented the super soaker. And they Mm -hmm. just think that's so awesome. And I think that's another way, you know, in those rare cases, you can kind of find someone who is like a toy inventor or whatever. Um. I, we also have a Dr. Arlene Simon, who's a biochemical engineer, but she writes um, children's books. She has one written and one coming out. So I love being able to find people, too, who have this very obvious tie um, with things that, you know, are fun for kids in addition to the world around them, which they're also completely fascinated by. So just some kind of fun things. Yeah, it makes it relevant to them, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. so important. Yeah, I love someone that. had to invent a t- this toy. You know, someone had to create it. It didn't just exist. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So. And I often ask kids, right? Um, so Disney um, movies are really popular, right? And so I often ask kids, well, who created the Disney princesses? And mm-hmm. everyone says Disney. And I say, no, Disney didn't create the Disney princesses, right? And they all go, what? Right? And they're thinking. <laughs> and they get super excited and they're like well what is she asking and so we go kind of through this journey of asking questions and trying to figure out well who creates Disney princesses and we learn that it's actually a team of people right who created and invented Disney princesses and that there are storytellers and animators and graphic designers and that um, the people who create these characters some of their favorites are actually just real people so in my book I've got Sonia Carey she created the Disney princesses Princess Tiana um, with her digital team and they actually get to see a picture of her and an illustration of her and learn that she's just a mom and she lives in Canada and she has her own animation studio now and kids are super excited to know that wow like that's a real person who gets Mm -hmm. to do all of these fun fun things and I could maybe be that person um one day, because I think it's important to note here that, you know, girls and boys, um, their abilities in science and math um, are the same. Mm-hmm. There's there's no difference in their ability to do STEM. But what does differ is their interest and their confidence. And so the earlier we can introduce STEM and um, promote and encourage STEM, I think um, the better off we're going to be to building a sustainable STEM future. Yes. And I'd like to clarify that the the interest is something that changes due to, I mean, we think mostly societal pressures um, because girls are often told kind of pressured not to be as interested. I mean, I know, I mean, I, I remember I was born in 1982. I remember explicitly being kind of told not to be, interested in certain things or kind of, you know, it wasn't as cool to be, use big words or whatever. Um, and so 
I, I think when you look at elementary school kids, their interest in science, and most people, if they're listening to your podcast and they're elementary school teachers, they will know this. But outside of that, what people might not understand is little kids love science. Um, when you're talking about how do we get kids interested in STEM, you don't have to get them interested. You have to keep their interest mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they almost explode with excitement. Um, they just, they love to talk about it. They love to do, put their hands on stuff. And the stuff that we do in our programming and classrooms, sometimes it's a little, you know, sometimes we'll buy something a little special, but a lot of it is just some simplest stuff like making condensation. That's actually something we put online, you know, putting water and ice in a cup and looking at what happens in the outside of the cup or blowing a ball into a bottle and it pops out again. I mean, we use a lot of things that you might put in your garbage. I mean, they're clean, you know, but you know, stuff that doesn't, isn't technical, isn't anything. And the kids just go crazy for it. We do fruit dissections. We give them a banana and they cut it up and we tell them, look at this like a scientist. Don't look at this like a banana you eat every day. And they're Mm -hmm. so interested in doing that. And so I think it's important to really understand that kids already have this interest and we need to keep it there. And that's another thing that's really important about working with this elementary school level, because elementary schools are often pressured to focus on reading and math testing and science kind of goes on the back burner, falls by the wayside. It feels hard to implement, but yeah, you can do some really cool things that are supply heavy and difficult to implement, but there's so much you can do. Just get a ruler and have kids measure things. You know, there's so much you can do that uses just basic classroom supplies and isn't difficult to to put forward. And incidentally, kids who know a lot of science will get higher reading scores. So in the end, it's beneficial for everything. So there it is, folks. (laughs) Knit that into the pillow. (laughs) Knit that into your decorator of pillow, right? Right. Um, But seriously, though, because I mean, lots of times when there's... Um, not enough time, quote unquote, not enough time in the day or budget cuts or something, scientists gets, um, not scientists, science gets the ax. And it's so upsetting because science sometimes is the subject that gets the kids running off the school bus and excited to be in school. Mm -hmm. And in what you just said, it raises um, literacy and it, it just... I wish it wasn't seen as something that was the first extra, to get cut. Right, right. Yeah, as extra, as fun. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I I know so many, I have a lot of friends who are teachers and I know so many of them in so many different districts and I've worked in different districts where science was just worksheets, um, mm-hmm. no hands-on. And, um, and I remember being... Um, a first-year teacher thinking, well, the kids aren't going to get anything out of it if the only thing they're doing is a worksheet. I'd much right. rather us go look at the clouds than look at pictures on a worksheet from the right. clouds. Right. You know, that's something so simple that we could just go right outside. And um, and it, it was just one of those things where I didn't want them to not love science and not have right. that chance to to grow that love. Right. And I think that's when kids do start to lose the interest, where you do see that interest lost towards the end of elementary school mm-hmm. and in middle school, because it, they haven't not always had, some have, but some have a lot of not had that opportunity to do the exploring. And like you said, it doesn't have to be something super complicated. You can explore shadows in your first grade classroom. 
that doesn't require any extra materials. You can just turn the light off or on and on. Right. Um, so and what so you important. and and what you said, we can use recyclables and trash and and things that we would just t- throw out. Well, we can use it for science. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's so much around us that's free mm-hmm. that we can use, and um, and I think a lot of times when science is the first to get cut because of budget reasons, you know, I I think having resources and and people out there like you that say no wait you can do science even if you don't have the money to buy the curriculum or you can do science even if you don't have the money to buy those really expensive science kits Mm -hmm. you can do science just with what you have around the school or around your house or out your window And I think one of of the challenges, too, that I find with teachers, um, especially um, I work primarily with kind of military school teachers, is like you're saying, Tori, is that there's there's either a lot of resources or there's not a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. Right. You might be on one end of the the spectrum. And sometimes as teachers, we might feel overwhelmed and say there are so many engineering challenges out there. I just don't know where to begin. I don't know what to start Mm -hmm. with. Right. What works? What actually doesn't work? And so. I think one of the things that's fantastic about, um, you know, Science Delivered is that they're going to be sharing activities that do work and that kind of lay out a framework for you um, to engage in that elementary school science. And I think the other thing that we haven't talked about um, today, but I just wanted to mention are STEM skills, right? Or in my book, I call them STEM superpowers. So if, you know, science does get cut or the amount of time or resources that you have in a science-centered classroom um, becomes less, I think it's important to sometimes just take a step back and think about, well, what are the skills that I actually want kids to take away, right? So we want problem solving. We want kids to be able to observe. We want kids to be able to communicate both orally and um, through writing. So how can we incorporate some of those STEM skills into our other subject areas, right? Or um, enhance them um, in other subject areas. So it's important to kind of, I think sometimes we forget that STEM is, you know, more than just those subjects. They're um, also a skill set that we're trying to encourage um, kids to have. Oh, yeah. And, and, it's you can easily infuse it into literacy too um mm-hmm. and going right back to what we were saying um with if there's budget cuts or if you're looking for ways to bring resources to your room that you know are are um simple and don't cost are are cost effective read a story that has science in the story mm-hmm. or that talks about different um stem whatever it is in the story maybe it's a short story maybe it's an an, an online article maybe it's a chapter book or read aloud or something like that it's a great conversation starter and a great way to grab in your students attention and and um and and then to move into whatever the lesson is or something like that um Mm -hmm. i had ginger z the meteorologist on um 
my podcast and she has written um, a trilogy, the Helicity trilogy. Um, and it follows a uh, young girl who loves the weather. And mm-hmm. uh, this, I love reading her books. They were so fantastic. And, um, and I learned so much myself about the weather just by reading her chapter books and they're written for kids and I just thought oh man like this would be so perfect for a teacher to read as a read aloud or something like that and it would just grab the kids attention so much because the character is seeing tornadoes she's um, having like different situations where she's stuck in different types of weather and she brings it alive um I actually read them as audiobooks because that's really the only way I can read books right now because my (laughs) my kids keep me so um, busy. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, just, you know, things like that. There's so many different ways to pull STEM into your classroom and into your life. And I'll just share. So if teachers are looking for specific books and um, diverse books, right, that represent a variety of STEM subjects and people in STEM fields, um, if you use the hashtag, we need diverse books, you will find lots of books um, about STEM. Um, A Mighty Girl, it's called, is a great also Mm -hmm. website that shares different compilations of STEM books from picture books to chapter books to um, books about specific people or inventions. Um, You know, there's a huge movement right now, especially um, for women in STEM in the picture book world. So you'll find lots of fantastic picture books. One of my favorite that I um, have been loving lately is called The Tree Lady, all about dendrochronologists and their work studying trees, or Evelyn the Adventurous um, Entomologist, which um, is a fantastic book about a bug collector who... um, Um, actually puts bugs in her backpack. Um, My daughter loves it. We read it over and over. Um, I think most teachers are familiar, at least at this point, with, you know, the Ada Twist Scientist series and Rosie Revere Engineer. Um, But I encourage you to... um, Keep looking because there's some other ones. Grace Hopper, the Queen of Computer Code, Joan Proctor, the Dragon Doctor. Um, There are some... Abby Invents Unbreakable Crayons. Yes, Dr. Arlene Simon. I love it. Yeah. Um, the Meteorologist in Me is by Brittany Ship. She is a real meteorologist on TV who wrote a fantastic book. It's actually in Spanish and English. Um, there are so many great resources out there to share with kids. Um, what do they do with all that poo? It's a fantastic <laughs> book about what we do with um, zoo animal poo and why does poo look different and what does poo look like of all the different animals at the zoo. Um, My book is set to release this summer called Capturing Cow Farts and Burps. So that book (laughs) is is all about how do we take methane gas and turn it into electricity. That's fun. And, you know, how many cows on earth are farting? Like, so it's a fantastic way to get kids engaging, especially in this you know, elementary school um, way. So if you need help, um, I think, you know, we'll share with Tori some links of everything that we've talked about today and some resources so that if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, but where, 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 um, we'll help you navigate. And yeah, I will put them in the episode notes. Okay, fantastic. And I think, I believe that it might be STEM teaching tools um, or other items related to the NGSS also has how-tos 
on best practices for integrating books and science. So we we should find those links and send them on to you too. Oh, yeah. That would be fantastic. Yes, yeah, storytelling in STEM, right, is a huge, is a huge movement, and there's lots of research that's happening in this space about how to do this um, using those best practices. Um, I know there was just one more topic that Olivia and I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about because this is something that always happens um, to me when I go to visit a school is that um, teachers ask me about, well, how do I kind of share current role models and historical role models, right? There's a lot of historical models like um, Olivia mentioned, like Dr. Katherine Johnson or um, Marie Curie, Dr. Jane Goodall, um, Grace Hopper, who kids might be familiar with, but how do we strike that kind of balance between modern and historical role models? So I'll let Olivia maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. I, I think both are important. Um, and one's a history of the field. Uh, and I think certainly people from the past are going to be inspirational too. And intriguing, you know, they might wear different clothes or, you know, things might feel a little different. And I think the modern role models are particularly important too, um, because kids can see that that's happening now. Um, I mean, you're not necessarily going to be Ada Lovelace, right? Uh, so, but you can see someone who's who's working in computers at this moment and say, oh, I could have that job. Um, and that and those people might feel more familiar to the students as well. Um, so I think there's really benefits of both. And we shouldn't think about it as necessarily replacing um, awesome role models from the past, but as adding to it. And I think if you see that how many people kids can admire who are athletes or actors or uh, singers, you can see that kids can hold on to a whole lot of role models at once. And that's the thing. We just want to normalize that, that these are really cool people. Um, I know for our database that we're creating um, for the STEM trading cards, we also take uh, care to find people who support the students, who support outreach, who support diversity efforts, who support environmental conservation. So we're really um, hyper-focused on finding people not only who are doing awesome work in STEM, but are also doing awesome work for the world itself. And I think that's also, you know, maybe being in science, you have these role models and then you learn more about them in their personal lives and you think, wow, that person wasn't such a great person. Um, so we kind of want to find these people who really are great people and doing great work. And I think those are the role models we really want to push at Science Delivered. So. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic, fantastic point, Olivia. Um, and I always think in STEM, probably one of the easiest role models for kids, especially elementary school, are astronauts, right? And so we often teach about, okay, who was the first astronaut in space and who was the first woman in space? And so kids might know Sally Ride and they might know Ellen Ocha and they might know Mae Jemison. But, you know, do they know that the, the latest astronaut was Christina Koch and she just spent 328 days in space? That was the longest space flight that we've had by any woman, right? And now she's back on Earth. So that is fantastic and so cool to know that astronauts, right, aren't just historical, but there are astronauts of today and people are training to be astronauts 
right now. And so I think making those connections between the historical people like Ada Lovelace, right? Um, a coder. Well, Lindsay Scott is a coder today who is teaching young girls how to code. She also happens to be um, a supermodel because she loves fashion and she loves acting and coding. And so she actually came up with an app that um, helps create different background scenes um, for actors so that when they submit their kind of videos and interviews, they can choose kind of what kind of background they want to be in. And so she's super cool. Right. So it's fantastic um, for kids to kind of see and make that connection that they're not just one-off people and that um, all of these STEM role models are building off of the knowledge and the history and the trailblazers that came before them. Yeah, I love it. And I, and I love having people that do many different things that wear many different hats, because um, like you said, when kids think there's just one role that people have. And in reality, even if you're not someone in STEM or someone that's well-known, most people have many different roles that they Mm -hmm. live their lives through. Mm -hmm. So just acknowledging that and learning about it and um, expressing and and letting kids dive into that allows them to, to see that they can pursue all of their different interests and that when they become adults and they have careers that they don't feel like they're stuck on only one path or that they are only allowed to um, explore one one way because they decided to be you know one like they decided to go into a certain career well that career can bring you all sorts of different ways Mm -hmm. something like that I think that's important and especially just I've how do I say this? So when I I know when I became an adult and I finished up college, it was like the whole world was out there. And I, it, I had one of those, like, what do I want to do? Like, I've been a student my whole life. Like, you know, do I want to teach? I, I want, I thought I wanted to teach. And then like, it was like one of those moments where like, Oh man, there's just like so many different grad programs out there that of all different ways that um, I can learn and, and do different careers and all sorts of things. And I found myself wanting to explore everything and feeling like I needed to pick just one. Mm-hmm. And now I'm a STEM teacher. And by that, I'm dipping into all of the topics that I love and I get to teach them and I would have never gone to where I am today if I had put myself in only one box and and said that I couldn't explore my other passions right and I think you know in addition to knowing you have all those outlets uh, little kids especially but I think older students as well uh, they like to know something about the person Um, Mm -hmm. it humanizes them and so we have a, a direct program where we have people, uh, local people in STEM, write a letter. We call it STEM Pals. And then they, after they do this letter exchange, they go visit the classroom. And I know one person sent a picture of themselves with pizza. And the teacher told me they just really wanted to know what kind of pizza it was. They were just really <laughs> interested in that. And, you know, kids get, they're really interested in these personal details. So when we have the STEM Pals, I tell them, you know, write something about, you know, a pet you have or what you like to do in your spare time, because that makes you more real to them. 
-hmm. And that makes your career more accessible too. You know, we're not trying to give every little detail of your life, of your, uh, of your career here because there's five and that's maybe overwhelming, but tell them things that they can understand and then tell them your general career. And that's the, the way to really intro them in, not to give them a huge lecture about the, you know, the science behind your field. You just want a little bit of that, a little bit of the personal stuff, and then let the kids ask questions and explore. And they'll kind of, they'll have a ton of questions. You know, for yeah. Sure. And just, and, and when I read books um, for my own or for my kids or for my students, I love, and I've always done this. I love to read about the author before I jump into the book. Because I I like to um, figure out a little bit about who they are because I I think it changes the way I read and because I feel like I'm like, ooh, well, this makes sense while they're writing about this or like something like that. I always think it's like a little magical. Mm -hmm. So um, just, you know, off of what you were saying, I love it when authors include things about themselves and just instead of a list of books that they've written or something like that, you know, they, they say where they live. They say if they have any pets. Do they have any kids? Maybe they have their favorite pizza listed down there. You know, things like that. And I think that's like one of those things that reels the kids in. And even me as an adult, it reels me in because I feel more connected. Um, yeah. In the it's like the celebrities. They're just like us. Sort yeah. of. <laughs> sort yeah. of and that's the whole concept of everyday STEM superheroes. So, right. Our whole idea was that STEM superheroes are all around us and that they're everyday people. They're people who look like you and me. They're people who have dogs, they have hobbies, they have interests. Right. Um, and I think it's, I think the underlying message, what we're saying here, right. Is that STEM career paths aren't linear, right. You don't just generally sometimes wake up and say, I'm just going to be an engineer and everything on my pathway is going to lead me to being an engineer, right? And so I think there's a movement now moving away, especially with elementary kids, from asking them, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? To saying, well, what kind of problems do you want to solve, right? And letting kids think about the variety of ways and perspectives um, that it might take to solve a problem, um, knowing that a career path um, is not linear and that you might have or wear multiple career hats. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm, I feel like we could talk all day. Oh, actually (laughs) all night. Um, (laughs) And I don't want to keep you up for too much longer, Erin, because I know it's what now two in the morning. Oh yeah. It's almost three, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're spanning a lot of the globe here. (laughs) Why don't you both share where people can get in touch with you and where um, they can buy your books? Sure. So if you look on social media, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram and Facebook and you search STEM superhero, that's the easiest way to get a hold of us on um, social media. You can buy um, the books that I talked about today. Um, Most of them are on Amazon, but if you're looking to support indies, which we would love for you to do, um, you can look at bookshop.org. So if you're a a teacher, this is actually a fantastic resource. It's um, a new basic aggregator that allows you to search for any book and the they actually go and shop that book from a local bookstore and mail it to you so that's bookshop.org so if you're in Boston they will look at your local Boston stores first um, to try and find that book and get it into your hands Um, and then we also have another um, a favorite indie called Itasca Books 
Um, and again, we'll have all of this listed on the website so that you can check out um, our resources. Um, and <clears throat> Science Delivered has two websites. We have our main website, science-delivered.org, which has our program, you know, just information about our organization, our programming. You, of course, can donate. We are a nonprofit, 501c3. Um, we work with around 1,200 students a year with direct programming. Um, and then we have a second website, stentradingcards.org. By the time this podcast comes out, I believe we will have at least uh, 50 people, including people from uh, the Everyday Superheroes book listed there. So it's really turning into a real database where you can find all sorts of people in different STEM careers. Um, and we're also building up our free resources section. Um, with the quarantine, we've pivoted to... Uh, resources, at-home resources, um, but a lot of these can be modified for use in the classroom, and we hope to really, we're aiming to really build up um, resources that people can use in the classroom. Our aim for classroom resources are really simple activity-based um, uh, lessons. So we're not necessarily doing the deepest dive, but we're, we're trying, what we're trying to provide is what is the you know, what is a really simple way that you can build hands-on science? And then we would encourage people to dive, who are in NGSS states, dive more into those standards um, for all for all those awesome uh, science and engineering practices and cross-cutting concepts. Although we provide a little of that. But um, so those are our, our websites. Awesome. Yeah. So um, this has been fantastic. Oh, I should probably say where you can find me. <laughs> Almost forgot. Um, I, if you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at steamupthecolsrm. If you want to see my classroom in action, I'm on Instagram and you can um, find me at steamuptheclassroom. Um, and then if you want to check out my website, it's steamuptheclassroom.com. So um, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation um, and I, I'd love to check in again with you both. You, you're creating such amazing things and I feel like, um, I mean, as time goes on, you're going to have so many more amazing things too. And even just by the time this podcast comes out, you'll have Aaron a new book and Olivia will have more trading cards. This is all really awesome. And I'd love to get back in touch and, and, and to keep in touch, but I'd love to have you back on the podcast at some point so we can talk about all the other amazing things that you've added to the world at some point. <laughs> Yes, thank um, you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, and uh, and thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you. And we look forward to inspiring the next generation of STEM superheroes. Bye.